Andy, thank you. Uh, always amazed by people who can just pick up an instrument and play it. I have a friend of mine, I know I've told this story before, but I wanted to learn how to play guitar years ago, and I asked him, I said, can you give me some pointers? Show me how to do this. He just looked at me and said, you just do it. I said, well, I can't just do it. But what a gift. And I'm always grateful when people use that gift for God, whatever the gift is. We are in Genesis 21 this morning as we continue a series on the life of Abraham. Entitled this one, God's Appointed Time. The fact that God's always on time. Not too early, not too late, but according to his perfect plan. We're going to look at Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7 this morning. I'm going to ask you, when you find the passage, if you will stand in our God's honor. As I read the text aloud. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah... As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Let's pray. Father, we bow before you, whether it's bended knee or all of us hopefully bended heart, Father, to you. It's quite simple, Lord. We need you. We make plans, but only you carry out a purpose that's true. And Father, we lose sight of you, and we need you, God. As we look at this blessing, this promise made concrete to Abraham and Sarah, may we be reminded that your promises are real and trustworthy. And that we, Father, can place our confidence in you. Father, take my weak effort and infuse your Holy Spirit. That we may continue to worship you. That our hearts may continue to move closer to Jesus. We need you, Lord. And we just admit it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had a promise broken? Well, duh, you're alive, you're here, it's been years, so it's happened. I'm sure it happens to all of us. I I remember my dad telling me, don't ever loan money to a friend. You can give them money, just don't expect that they're going to give it back to you. If you come in with those expectations, you may be greatly disappointed. Happens. Or maybe as a child you participated in sports or you played a musical instrument and uh, you wanted someone to come, maybe your dad, another parent to be there. and They didn't show up and after they said, don't worry, I'll be there. You can count on me. It hurts. It hurts. 
or you share something with someone and you say, this is confidential. I don't want anybody to know about this. Keep your lips zipped. Not a word to anybody. Next thing you know, it's all over Facebook. Everybody in the community is talking about it. And your confidence is crushed. Or maybe as a parent, you know, say to your child, oh, you can do this, but you have to agree to clean your room first. Oh, you can count on me. I will clean my room. It's as good as done. Okay, well, just make sure that room is clean. And you're still waiting today for that room to be clean. Just never quite seemed to happen. Uh, Disappointments can be tough and broken promises hurt. Thankfully, there is a God who the scriptures tell us keeps his promises. He's true to what he promises. And we can place a confident trust there in his promise. Someone has counted. I admit I haven't. I read this somewhere that there's 7,474 promises in the Bible. Well, I'll just put it this way. There's a lot, guys. A lot of promises. You could break that down to 113 promises in each book of the Bible. We have 66 books. And for some, that may be 13, 14 promises. For others, it may be just two or three promises. But they are promises from God that we can place our confidence in. Um, Just a few truths in our outline here that we're going to look over and and also, uh, we'll see as we go through the, this account in our scripture today that are true with Abraham and Sarah, and which we can count on too, in God's promises and in his very time, his appointed time. First, God's not in a hurry. Oh boy, I have always felt the uh, course of waiting. I even hate waiting in a line at the store. And it seems like I can find those lines where something goes wrong, you know. And I'm waiting. Or I'm waiting behind a line of cars. Or, boy, this is confession day for me and waiting. I don't like waiting. But sometimes, according to my timetable, God, when are you going to do this? But he, he, he... He's not impressed by my efforts to scold him and to get him to speed up when I think he's not in a hurry. Second, God never forgets what he has promised. When he makes a promise, although it may not be on my timetable, it's a promise that he's going to keep because that is our God. It's interesting in Numbers 23, we have recorded where a leader comes to one of God's prophets and says, I want you to curse God's people. I want you to curse Israel. And so this prophet, he goes and he prays before God the Father. He takes some sacrifices before God. He says, I have this request. What do you want me to do, O God? And God makes it really clear that he doesn't want to curse his people. Because these are the people he set apart. These are the people that he called. These are the people that he loves. These are the people that he set aside for his perfect work. And in Numbers twenty three nineteen, in the New Century Version, um, that, that particular version, uh, I don't know, it just caught my attention when I, when I read it. It says, God is not a human being, and he will not lie. 
God is not human, and He does not change His mind. What He says He will do, He does. What He promises, He makes come true. God doesn't lie. God doesn't flip-flop on the promises that He gives to His people. What He says, He does. (laughs) What He promises, He makes come true. It's interesting as you go down through Numbers 23. I think it's interesting. He says, uh, come on, curse these people. And in verse 20, the prophet says, he says, I've received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. God has blessed his people, Israel. I cannot change it. And so then the leader comes back and he says, well, if you can't bless them, could you just kind of give them a neutral word? If you're not going to curse them, not bless them, just kind of you know, make it kind of weak. And, and he says, nope. I love it. The chapter closes. The prophet says, I must do whatever the Lord says. We don't understand everything God is at work with in the Middle East. But he's promised. He loves Israel. He set them apart. And he's not forgotten about them. His promises are true. And he will carry them out. Third, that goes in conjunction with this, our God is trustworthy. You can place your confidence in Him. To believe on God means that you can put the weight of all that you are upon the foundation of all that He is and find a place that will not crumble, a place that is steady, a place where you can rest, a place that is confident for us that he provides um i love this is from first thessalonians 4 20 there great section of scripture where uh, this great promise is is shared and um, carried out before his people And in that, he says, uh, starting at verse 16, he says, uh, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. His wonderful return. This is going to occur. And I love it in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, in the twinkling of an eye. And then I say all that, verse 18, of that ends chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. We get discouraged. We get down. Sometimes we're just disappointed. Sometimes we kind of lose sight of hope. And yet the truth of the matter is. We are headed to that day. Where the trumpet sound. Will come. And the dead will rise in Christ. And we're going to meet him. And we're going to see him. And in the scriptures it says. Don't, don't stop. Reminding brothers and sisters in Christ. He's coming back. 
He's going to return. Our Lord is on His way. And we must live as a people who are not settled here, for this is not our home. We are headed to meet Him, our God. Fourth, God's promises are linked to their context. Too many times people take a verse and pull it out of the context and well, you can just about twist Scripture to say anything you want if you don't take it in context and look at Scripture in context of what is being said um, and in that culture. And, and so it's important not uh, just to read a few verses in the Bible, but to begin to get a, a, an idea of the flow of Scripture and how it moves. And, you know, I love Spurgeon's old wor- old words. He said, Man, I want to know the Bible so well that if you were to cut my hand, my blood would test be blind. You know, that, that was his heart, you know, to have that. As it says in Romans 12, too, that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds. As, as Scripture becomes a part of our lives, as we begin to see it in context, and as we begin to think with thought patterns that are in line with God. That's the heart. That's the goal. And as you look at promises that he gives in his word, um, they either tend to be universal, which means they're for all of us that we can claim. And many times words like whoever, or whosoever, or all are clearly there. They give us insight into that those promises can be claimed by everybody. But at other times, the promises are personal for that particular instance, that particular account in Scripture for that one, and it's not for everybody. And that's true in the account we have today. Abraham and Sarah have been promised a child. He's 100. She's 90. Baby's born. This is not a promise for everybody to claim. Quite frankly, uh, we have our grandson today, Atticus. What a thrill, man. What a great time. You know, here I am reading about uh, Abraham as he, he gets to hold that precious baby. This was his son, not his grandson. Nobody give him back to. This is his to, to have and, and hold. And, and he's, he's, he's waited so long. But this is not a promise for everybody. Um, Carrie, if you and Lisa, you know, I'm just throwing out there. If you want to have a, you know, you can pray this all you want. You know, time to have a kid and I'm going to claim this promise. No. This is, this is a personal promise <laughs> that, that he's grateful. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. To, to, uh, that was to Abraham and to Sarah uh, to, to uh, get a hold of. Uh, Proverbs 2. Turn me to Proverbs 2. There's an example of this in Proverbs 2 of conditional and unconditional promises. Um, conditional promises based upon what we do in order for it to happen. And then the unconditional, hey, that's God's job to get it done. Verses 1 through 5. The first four verses deal with these conditional promises that have the condition that I fulfill what is required. He says, my son, if you accept my words, are your ears close to God's words? What is he doing in your life? Are you willing to say, yes, Lord? If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, do you really think about what God has to say? Do you dwell upon that truth? Do you let him speak to you? Turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding. 
man, are you, are you, do you really want to, to know the truth? Are you willing to deal with it? And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you're serious about it, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, you have a real ache in your heart for God. Then verse 5 is the unconditional promise when those are met. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. As he shares to all of us, as that word becomes true, as the conditions are met in his unconditional love and faithfulness to us. Now think about it. God's not in a hurry. This has been 25 years. They've been looking and waiting. Starting at, uh, he was 75, she was 65, and the... And, and, you know, here here we are 25 years later with this baby to be born. They had tried to do it their way. They had ran away to Egypt. They had decided that they were going to have a surrogate mom through Hagar and receive these promises. They had tried it their way, but that wasn't God's plan. There was a personal promise to them that he would fulfill in his way. Uh, He affirms it in chapter 12 of Genesis. He reaffirms it in chapters 13, chapter 15, and chapter 17. He tells them over and over again, this is my promise. This is what's going to happen. Why did he have to tell them so much? Because they're weak, just like we are. Just like we need to constantly come before God and say, God, Help my unbelief. Give me strength for today to follow you, God, because I just, I just miss you. Verse 2, it almost sounds like um, Sarah definitely talking from her vantage point. Sarah became pregnant and bore son to Abraham in his old age. He's the old man, not me. And he says at the very time that God had promised at the appointed time, the very time. Not, not, not the time they would have chosen, not the time they would have handpicked, but God's time. It made me think of Ecclesiastes 3. Turn, turn me there to, uh, to Ecclesiastes 3, you know, after we move on through Proverbs and we come to Ecclesiastes. And what an amazing section of Scripture. He start, uh, it's, most believe this is written by Solomon. As he shares forth his wisdom, he, he starts out, he says, there's a time for everything. There's a very, you know, that very time, that appointed time, that special time in God's plan. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And I'll just read the first one. He, he says, a time to be born and a time to die. There's a specific time God had for you and I to enter this world. And there's a specific time he has for us to check out of this world. 28 times through this chapter, the word time is used. That signifies that God's calling the shots and his perfect time will occur. Nothing happens prematurely. And as you look at this section of scripture, um, 3, 1 through 8, all of these are polar extremes. And, you know, we use the term as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, as far as the heavens are above the earth. There are these polar extremes of the work that God is doing and, and, and how he's working. It's, it's not an accident. 
You were born for his purpose, and we will die in accordance with his command. We don't call the shots. Um, I was a surprise baby. I say that because dad was 38 and mom was 28. And I just don't think I was planned. But I was planned by God. I wasn't an accident. I was meant to be here. God had a purpose for me to be here. And he has a purpose for all of us. Even though sometimes our backgrounds, even though sometimes the choices we made, and we're like, God, why? What is happening? And yet God, he's at work. He has a plan through all of that. And as much as we hate to admit it, our strength and our days are numbered. And we are headed toward eternity. Notice in verse 11, uh, he says, he has made everything beautiful. In its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done. From beginning to end. We, we can't fully grasp God in his greatness. And that's why it's so important. We must learn to trust him. We all get too big for our britches. We all try to come up with these answers that we can't answer and we need a heavenly father and Abba, a dear daddy to guide us through the course of this life. Uh, turn me over. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 5. Is a verse that beautifully articulates the truth that we just don't get it most of the time. <laughs> As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. We don't understand the path of the wind. and How can we fully understand how God knits together a baby in a mother's womb and the beautiful intricacy and work he does in creating each person in his beauty? It, you know, it, it talks about... Um, that we are his masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship. It's the word poema. That each of us is God's poem. His beautiful creation. And his beautiful work. It says as you do not understand. The path of the wind. Or how the body is formed in the mother's womb. So you can't understand the work of God. The maker of all things. We, we, we can't fully get it. And when we can't trust him. We need to learn to trace him. To place our confidence there. All right, back to Genesis 21. Sarah bears the baby. And they are looking lovingly into the eyes of this kid. and Chosen to name the child laughter. Or he laughs. Why God heard them laugh. Why? Because the situation was totally impossible. And yes, that's the beauty of God. I love it in Mark 10, 27. It says, for with man it's impossible, but not for God. For with God, all things are possible. As, as they were able to, to see that. And in their embarrassment, in their thought, this couldn't possibly happen. God brought it to pass. He worked according to his promise and fulfilled it. You know, I've never known anyone named Laughter. I've known some people named Joy, Patience, Grace. No Laughter. But here was one named Laughter. And as we read down here, uh, it says that Abraham got the job when he was eight days old, which was the custom of circumcising his son. 
man, what a responsibility, what a job. But that was according to God's plan. That was the work that uh, he did in fulfilling that covenant that showed his faithfulness to Israel, the covenant of circumcision. He was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. 100 years old. What must it have been like when Sarah first discovered she was pregnant? Thinking, what? Feeling that little kick. I can imagine Abraham saying something like, there may be snow on the rooftop, but there's still fire in the furnace. This baby's coming. God is faithful. You know, it's interesting. I, I looked at, I just Googled um, recently, you know, What's the oldest woman to bear a child on record? Came up with a lady when she was 69 years old who gave birth in accordance with the procedure to to help her reach that point. She almost died from complications. That was five years ago. Yes, she has a little one. Sarah's nine. Can you imagine? I mean, I just know looking at, you know, my grandson Atticus. I was just uh, speaking, I think it was to the Nidus earlier, and said, you know, I'm starting now. I don't know how, but I've got to let Atticus understand that the greatest person in the world is his papa. We're going to start instilling, and we're going to start brainwashing, and all that we can. Man, to look in the eyes of that little gift of God. How they must have cherished the lies when they held him and, and, and when they when they heard him. I, I mean, man, this morning, Atticus was so happy. And he does this little, I don't know, he makes these little noises. And he's just like, oh, man, it just melts your heart. And, of course, he, even when he cries, I said, you know, I said to Cindy this morning, I said, you know, he cries. I said, there's something, you know, it just grabs your heart. She said, yeah, but when they get mad and cry too long, it, yeah, it's you know, different. You know, yeah, I get that. But, you know, you're so intricately woven. With a child. God's placed that within each of us. And yet at some point. Um, we need to realize what the scriptures say. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. The whole world and all the people who live in it. That includes the people you love the most. Includes your spouse or your child. Or your grandchild. Parents. Dear friend. We say, you know, Atticus, he's mine. Not really. He belongs to God. Corey Tinboom once said, whatever you hold on to, learn to have a loose grip on it with your fingers loose because it really hurts if God has to pry your grip free. What we think is ours It's all God's as he works according to his timetable. All right, as I close this thing out here, four quick uh, words of uh, instruction. Something to remember. Remember, God is never accidentally late. His plan unfolds and he is on time. And our thinking, we think, man, you've been delayed. But he's always right on time according to his plan. Secondly, Something to forget. Just go ahead and forget about your own schedule and plans. (laughs) 
I always like to kid and say I give God my opinion all the time, but he doesn't seem to want to listen. God has a plan that oftentimes supersedes our own. In Proverbs 20, verse 24, it, um, it, it tells us that. that uh, how can a man understand his own way? God's the one who directs our steps. He's the one that does that. Uh, third, ask the Lord for sustaining strength and wisdom. Sometimes uh, we feel like we can't handle it. Sometimes we feel like we're just going to crack. Sometimes we feel like, God, the strength's not there. So just talk to your Heavenly Father. Be honest. Ask for strength. Ask for help. Uh, Job 121, you know, Job who went through so much pain. I love that declaration he makes at the end of that verse, Job 121. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Whether that's a loved one, I don't know whether it's finances, whether it's health, whatever it is, it's the Lord's. And one last one as I close. Learn to forgive yourself. It's amazing that God promises to forgive us. And it's even more amazing that we can't seem to forgive ourselves. I have a few of those tapes in my mind. I don't know if you do. Every once in a while they'll haunt me. Something stupid I did maybe 20, 30 years ago. And it'll play back. And I'll find myself in a conversation. I don't know if Cindy ever hears me or not. But inside my head I'll find myself in a conversation saying, You're stupid. Why did you do that? Idiot. Just let it go. God did. We all have stuff. But we have a Savior who died for us to take care of it all. So we need to forgive. We need to live for eternity, not just for here. It's so easy to live for me, but we're called to live for thee, you know, to get my rhyming down there, to live for God. I close with C.S. Lewis had a beautiful analogy, a beautiful picture of the difference between heaven and hell. He said, imagine two beautiful dining areas with huge banquet tables in both places. And people are seated around these beautiful banquet tables across from one another. And they have a fork and a knife, which are all each one's three feet long. And so in hell, they're down there with all this wonderful food. And as they get ready to eat, they're totally, constantly frustrated because with a three-foot-long fork, they're getting the food and they can't get it in their mouth. And so they're mad and they're yelling at each other and they're fussing and they're hungry all the time. In heaven, they too have the three-foot knife and their three-foot fork and they're seated across from each other. But there's peace, there's love and There's joy. And you know what they do? They feed each other. It won't fit in your own mouth, but it'll fit in the guy across the table. And so they take the food and they feed one another. And Lewis says the the picture of heaven there, here's how he describes it. Um, He concluded that people who spend all their lives trying to fulfill their own selfish desires are already experiencing a kind of hell. 
But those who live a life of service to others will find themselves at home in heaven. They've learned the joy of service on earth, and now they will have eternity to enjoy it. Only more so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, we're all just a mess, Lord. But you're a great Savior that loves us. We just need to see you more clearly. Father, we need to turn your direction because our direction's headed the wrong way. Help us to trust for your perfect time, your appointed time, and to live in confidence in you. Father, as we come to this time in the service where we call it a response or invitation, Father, we have an altar. Maybe someone here wants to come and pray. Father, why not, Lord? You promise you're listening. You invite us to do that, Lord. That's what an altar's for. May someone come who needs to come. Father, maybe we need to get right with you or somebody else, and it's time for that. I pray that we would follow you now. Whether um, someone needs to come and and wants to uh, pray with me, and, and Father, just as encouragement before you to say, I want to get this right. Or maybe right where you are, you just say that before God. And maybe it's not time to make that public, but you want to get that straight. Father, maybe you have something you won't said through someone to your people here for your glory. Father, maybe they come for that. We just want you to be the one who gets the attention and the one who gets the praise. And so in this time, that's what we look for. As we stand, as we sing, may it be for you. In your name we pray. Amen.